Here's a letter we got from a Canadian KISS fan who goes way back to the beginning of the band, better known as Spirit on the message boards. I became a KISS fan in 1975. It dates me, I know, but it was an important time in my life. I recently went through the death of a close uncle and at the age of 10, he took me golfing for the first time. It was 1975. So this past week was bittersweet for me. My uncle's memorial was touching. He was truly a good man with a kind heart and he's dearly missed. The death of Bill O'Coin struck me oddly close to home as well. I met him once so we were not close but he appeared a kind and gentle man. Times like these make you sit back and think about your own life, your time left, the things that are important to you. I suppose it's my age. Without Kiss, I would have been a very different person. Sounds overdone, I know, but I believe it. It was a soundtrack to my life, good times, bad times, in between times. In 1976, I saw Kiss on the Alive Tour. They were an incredible spectacle. I felt like a kid who went into an R-rated movie. It was ominous, moody, heavy, dare I say it, somewhat evil. Years later, I realized that amazing night, that amazing moment in time would probably never have happened without Bill O'Coin. I cannot thank him enough. I think I could safely speak for all Canadian KISS fans on this. Whether they realize it or not, they owe a thank you to Bill O'Coin. Farewell, Guy. That's a beautiful letter. Thank you, Spirit. Well, I don't know who Billy Joel's manager was. Right. Peter Frampton's or, or whoever, you know. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, when you think about it, there's Kiss, Elvis Presley, and the Beatles. And that is like some amazing company that, that people cared enough to know about the man behind the scenes. I remember being a young teen and you'd like open up Cream Magazine. There'd be a little bit of Bill O'Coin or, or, or he would be referenced in, in other magazine articles. And it was just always something very interesting. Kiss I, was, I knew who well, I knew who Stan Lee was before I knew who Kiss was, right, because of comic books. I love comic books. So right. when I got the Kiss comic book, I was still pretty young. But, you know, there's Bill O'Coin standing next to Stan Lee, standing next to Kiss. I figured this has got to be a person of, of incredible importance if he's there next to Stan Lee. You know, so that, that to me was, was something of a barometer.
Starkey, founder of the KISS Army, and you're listening to PodKISS. We're honored tonight to be joined by the legendary Bill Starkey, who we all know as the founder of something we call the KISS Army. This is a, he's our commander-in-chief, what can I say? <laughs> Welcome, Bill, to the podcast. Uh, it's good to have you on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And I know that um, you spoke to Mike, one of our podcast correspondents, uh, at an expo not long ago. We had, we had that interview on the show, but I'm glad to be able to talk to you in person. This is a real honor. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, the reason why we're talking tonight is to commemorate the passing of Bill O'Coin. You know, I I know this is one of those situations where you you know there's a memorial and all that, but um, I think most ever, everybody that you're going to talk to is probably going to have you know just lots of good things to say about Bill. I I um, you know I it, usually people when they do that kind of a thing they they usually just um, try to be nice about things, but Bill Bill was genuinely a good guy. I mean, uh, I I can't ever remember having a situation that was you know in. I mean, he was always uh, in, in good spirits, um, always real positive. Um, my initial phone conversations, though, when I was in contact with Kiss, were though were with uh, Mr. Alan Miller, and I never got to meet Bill till. Um, Kiss arrived in Terre Haute, and um, um, that was the start of um, this. A few times that I had come into contact with Bill, and um, it was it was a, just an amazing situation that day. I mean, I I, uh, I get to sit on an anvil case with Bill and Alan Miller for the last four songs in the Terre Haute concert until they stopped the show and give me a plaque and um, for starting the Kiss Army. And and here's the funny thing is later that night, you know, of course my friends and I were invited to a Kiss after party, and it was a secluded place in Terre Haute. And then Bill asked if I would ride back in the limo with him to the Sheraton Hotel where Kiss was staying. So we sit in this hotel room, and he starts asking me some questions, and I, and I had no I, no idea what this was all about. I had no clue. How, I didn't know what he was. How old were you at the time? Um. I had just turned 19 in November. Wow. And um, this was the first contact that Bill and I had had. And, um, you know, um, this is a story that I've not really told a lot of people publicly because it was just such a strange situation. But as the years have gone by, I, I just have been able to rationalize probably what it was all about. And, and it probably makes a little bit more sense to me now. And since Bill's passed, it's it's one of those stories that I don't mind telling now because it's it, it's it's different and um, but but it's still one of those kind of stories that probably needs to be told. So we're sitting in this hotel room and then he tells me that um, upon his observations of me that he kind of, that I kind of reminded him of of what he termed a loner, which I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. And he said, and of course. I had brought five people to the after-concert party that night with me, and that was all I was allowed to bring, but maybe I should have brought more or something. But that was the first observation he made of me. And then he, he drops this bombshell on me, and he asked me, how, how would you treat a gay Kiss fan? Wow. You know, you know, you know they're, out, they're out there, don't you? And I'm like, so I was really confused as to what Bill was getting at. I don't even remember 
what my response was or that I had a response, I do know that I probably would have rather been back at the, the KISS party. I mean, think of this. I was already shell-shocked over the whole events of that day. I mean, I'm getting to KISS. I'm at a radio station. I watch the concert on stage. I get a plaque in front of my hometown in front of 10,000 people. I'm eating pizza with Gene on one side and Paul on the other, so I'm dumbstruck. Right. My first, stu- my first stupid question to Gene was, as if I had anything, as if it had anything to do with the history of life or anything, was like, "Hey, Gene, what's the second line in Deuce?" That's all I really wanted to know. And then right. I turned to Paul and I'm asking him crazy questions like, "You know, whatever happened to that Gibson Firebird that you're playing on the cover of Kiss Alive? You know, where is it? You know?" And I think Paul told me it was either broken or stolen. Uh, you know, what do you say? Right. So, so, so Bill drops, Bill asks me these two questions. You know, what do you say to a gay kiss fan? Oh, I'm pleased to meet you, I think. I don't know. Um, and, I, you know, I hope I didn't, hadn't made some sort of homophobic slur or something during the party to prompt the question. Right. I don't think so, because I was a pretty quiet individual. So here's what I think this was all about. It was, this was, this was basically a job interview. Right. And this was Bill's nice way of letting me know that regardless of what Alan Miller had been telling me for weeks about, you know, running the KISS Army out of Terre Haute, it just wasn't going to happen. And this was just Bill's polite kind of way of telling me that this job had already been filled. Now, of course, I laugh about it to this day. You know, I guess I, I failed the KISS fan, gay KISS fan response on the questionnaire or something so but you know a a month later you know they fly me to new york i'm with the football coach jim neff from the cadillac football coach you know we're going to the kiss new year's eve party and uh our new year's eve show on long island and there's the rock and roll pool party to show you their appreciation it was it was a wonderful experience and then see i wouldn't see bill again till the following july in 76 and he was just so happy to see me he gives me this big hug, and he just pulls out his own copy of Kiss Originals. Wow. And he shows me my name in the album, and he says, look, you're famous. Nice. So, you know, 1975, just to go back, you you know, you you had this kind of um, a de facto job interview where uh, right. you know, it sounds like a coin was kind of feeling you out in a sense of saying, um, yeah. you know, you seem like you a... Were, you're not ready for this. You right. know, you're just not, you know... You're you're kind and, of a quiet guy. Kiss yeah. have their gay fans. This is a you know this is sort of like big time uh, you know stars in your eyes rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. Um, right. And, and you're a kid from Terre Haute. Right. Okay. But they must have kind of at the same time. It sounds like they saw you or Bill saw you as a, a really effective barometer for what the Kiss thing was about. You know, being a Kiss fan and 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 the meaning of the characters and the meaning of the music. Be- because, as you said, they kept you on as a kind of consultant uh, yeah. to field these questions from a company where the people running it weren't necessarily into KISS. Well, there was a, there was a project they put me on um, uh, where Alan Miller had me and uh, one of my cohorts, Jay Evans, right. um, go to the radio station and, and take calls and phone numbers and addresses for as many Terre Haute fans as we could and we were basically telling them that we were enlisting them in the KISS Army. What happened? Well, eventually that list of 300 names was sent to Boutwell, and they were putting on a mail li- mailing list. So they were generating 
addresses for people that they felt that they could put on their mailing list for KISS merchandise. Wow. And eventually he said he wanted to do this in big cities. Well, that never happened, but initially we did that in Terre Haute. And I have one of the original KISS Army iron-ons from that day, that, that, that event that he had given a whole mess of us, a whole bunch of them to us, so that we could you know, eventually give to fans. And it's kind of funny because the KISS Army logo back then that they had that was distributed out changed considerably, you know, after Destroyer came out to the KISS Army banner that you see on the inside of the album insert there. Right. Um, but, yeah, on Boutwell and, and KISS, they had a relationship, I think, all the way through 1980. That's when all the other fans decided to take it into their own hands, and it got another rebirth in its own, which was in, in a cool kind of way, because then fans actually ran their own KISS Army fanzines all across the country, which was kind of cool from the 80s on. And here at Podkist, we, I know we kind of think of ourselves as a, as a fanzine you can listen to. Yeah, oh, and you've got a, a niche that's, it's totally different, you know, because with the Internet and all that. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like for us to do the Kiss Army back in the 70s if we'd had the wealth of, you know, the the, the Internet and, and the way people can communicate nowadays. Because, uh, you know, back back when I did it, you just you had stamps and envelopes, and that's how you did That's how you got your point across. Years ago, my wife and I watched a VH1 special about um, Kiss, and they were talking about the start of the Kiss Army surrounding the the, uh, the radio station and kind of mobilizing fans in 75, and she just turned to me and said, no internet. No. And you know what's funny is kids did surround the radio station, and it was because kids was going to ride there, you know, as, as disc jockeys. You know there's an Ace Fairley Boulevard in the Bronx. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm, from, I'm actually from the Bronx, and um, I got to go to this, um, this ceremony. I, I guess that they do this... Uh, routinely, it's a Bronx Walk of Fame, and huh. um, uh, I guess about ten years ago, nine or ten years ago, um, Ace was inducted into the Bronx Walk of Fame, and there was a sign put up for Ace Fairley Boulevard right off the Grand Concourse or, or thereabouts, the County Courthouse. Um, I think the same day um, there was a rapper KRS-One was inducted, and um, right. uh, oh gosh, um, Stanley Kubrick's daughter inducted her father on on his behalf he had passed away but yeah uh -huh. um, i mean if if there's an ace fairly boulevard we, i i think we're not too far off from having a you know welcome to Terre Haute, home of the kiss army yeah well i think that's what they're they're wanting to do and um it's funny because i guess it's part of the graying of the kiss army the guys are getting older and they're getting in positions of power now and it's like one guy swears up and down he goes listen he goes i'm real tight with the new mayor he goes there's people on the city council he goes, uh, you know, we, I think we can do this. He said, even at the least, if you and a couple of the old guys from the Kiss Army would show up. I said, well, yeah, sure. Hi, this is Ace Fraley, and you're listening to Podcast. When they sent me to New York, Bill gave us a tour of his um, um, offices, and, and he was showing us this jukebox, and he was real proud of this jukebox that he bought. And... Um, he just had enough room to put it in there. Well, um, that was one of the cool things about when they, you know, they they flew me to New York is they showed you the they they bought you up to the office and all this and and um, and this um, was this was when about uh, like still in the seventies I suppose. This was this was like 
this was like uh, Christmas Eve, 1975, right? Um, the January 1st, 76 show in Long Island. And um, it was cool because um, there was kind of a revenge factor involved because uh, the word out, the word was out that Blue Oyster Cult was opening for Kiss. Oh, right. And that was like the payback from, I guess, a few years back when Kiss opened up for Blue Oyster Cult in New York. Right. So they had just switched things around. Of course, this was being played out in Long Island. It wasn't, you know, in downtown. It was Madison Square or anything like that. Um, I'll never forget how cool it was that Kiss's parents were there. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, somebody pointed out to me they were Ace's parents and, and, uh, Suppose that Paul's parents were there, and um, after the show, at 3 a.m. in the morning, it was a pool party. That's when it started. So you're going up to this like big skyscraper. It's called the I think it was the Diplomat Hotel. I think it was. I don't know. I still have my silver invitation. Nice. And, you know, for for me, good God, it was like it was three or four o'clock in the morning, and I was already like you know beat. Right. It was just a long day for me. And um, I was somewhat of a party pooper. I mean, you're um, 19, think... 20 years old at this point. Was there? I know that you said that um, Bill O'Coin made some efforts to kind of shield you from Ace and Peter uh, partying. I think from Ace, yeah, uh, right. What, do you do you get the sense that you were a young guy and they were making efforts to kind of? Um, I mean, you know, the story with Kiss, as it seems, as the 70s progressed was um, let's play this out as more and more as family entertainment. Well, uh, you know, I think one of the, uh, let's face it, that was the first rock group I ever met. But well, there were plenty of rock groups that passed, Terre Haute, passed through Terre Haute, and a lot of the people in the music industry that I had met from Terre Haute, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm like saying, you know, the concert promoters, radio people and all that, they all said that the KISS, people were very professional they they were very polite and um that they had a very positive experiences with them and you got to remember back then kiss was still quite taboo i mean you know the music um the the image uh it was still pretty hardcore it was it was uh it was not family entertainment it wasn't and, right. and it was something that a lot of people didn't know a lot about and the cool thing was about was it was neat about is that you didn't see them without their makeup so and, and that was a neat taboo thing part of it you know but um the, the the management themselves they were very professional i'll never forget when my mom first met both gene and paul and she just thought you know that paul was just just so polite you know right. i mean hello how are you shaking your hand and all that well, yeah, up on stage, you thought they were four wild men. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just, and, it, and they could get the crowd into a frenzy easily. I mean, let's face it, this was the peak of the Kiss Alive tour. But, you know, back back um, the, the next morning, uh, eating breakfast at the Sheridan Hotel, and, and I've got my mother and my, my sister and my brother, and, you know, and, and here's Gene and Paul, and, Bill Coin and Alan Miller and everybody's just so, you know, they're, they were just all great people. I mean, and it wasn't a put-on, it was real. I mean, right. and, and um, 
you know, cause, and, and like I said, it was the first rock group I'd ever met, so what did I have to compare it to? But other people had told me that, you know, not all bands are like this at all. Not all bands are this professional. Not all bands are this cordial. You know, not all not all bands are this easy to work with. And, right. you know, in, in, in some ways, the people at Batwell Enterprises who were working the Kiss Army were telling me the same thing, too. They were saying that, they said, you know, um, you know, regardless of what you think of, you know, us work, working the Kiss Army and whatever, us, you know, doing our jobs, um, other management firms would not have cared the slightest if you had started the Kiss Army, you know, and they said, you know, we work with Elton John, we work with Queen. Um, The cool thing about a coin management is, is, um, you know, they, they were listening to that stuff. So, you know, that, that's a a tribute to Bill in itself is that, you know, um, he, he was listening, he was watching for things like that. And, 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 um, you know, you got to credit Bill, I mean, for paying attention to what was happening in Cadillac and Tarot, I mean, he had a lot to do with, with Kiss looking like a million dollars, even though they didn't have a million dollars. Right. Because those early shows that we saw in early 75, to think that he was financing those on his American Express card, yeah, it's just an incredible story. I mean, American yeah. Express should have used him for a commercial, you know, like they did later on, like, do you know who I am? Because... It's just an incredible story. In those early days, the spring of 75, um, even when Kiss was first, you know, we saw him as a headliner, we fans had no idea that they were, I guess you would say, what, starving artists, first so to say. But the band looked great. The stage was impeccable. Even the roadies looked sharp or neat in appearance. Yep. And they only had a few of them. And, of course, they wore these cool black and silver shirts. And we, we kids in the stands were going like, man, Wish we could get one of those shirts. Yeah. What the hell? Kiss never even thought about merchandising those things. Right. You know? And this right. is seventy five April here in at the convention center. And, you see, that's um, a great that's a great uh merch idea for two thousand and ten because you know, if you walk into um you know, Target, Walmart, wherever, there's such a pull for kind of retro vintage uh yeah. like um I mean, you know, t- 13, 14 year old kids are walking around the halls of their high school wearing, you know, Journey t shirts and Iron Maiden t shirts. I don't know that they are the biggest Journey and Iron Maiden fans, but, a, right. but an old school Kiss Road Crew t shirt. Yeah. Well, and it was pretty basic. It was like just black and silver is all it was. Right. And it didn't have like red and yellow flames or anything because that black and silver color scheme just looked so cool together. We still had like two or three more months left in our senior year, and we actually mass-produced our, our first Kiss shirts, and we patterned it after the first album. And we, we picked certain days that we all knew we were going to wear them to school. Nice. You know, like it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday. And, man, when we get all kinds of crappy responses or good responses, and you, know, you can tell we had homemade shirts and stuff like that, but... Like I said, we were the geeks of the geeks. I mean, uh... that speaks to me personally because I became a Kiss fan in, in 1981, and uh-huh. the, you know that's the point. By by that point, it was no longer you know the height yeah. of, of Kisteria. Exactly, and, and that was probably a time when my interest kind of waned in the band. Right. 
Right. And, and, and you know, I, I, being a, a Kiss fan or a burgeoning Kiss fan in 1981 was, uh, you know, at the time when MTV was breaking and Thriller was on its way up, you know, it was a real social liability to say that I that my favorite group was Kiss. So I can, you know, I, I can kind of understand that. But th there was something that uh, Kiss and, and Bill O'Coin cultivated, I think, which was that kind of solidarity that, um, you know, that yeah. was the, and still is the Kiss Army, like all for one mentality. Right? Back then, we were just like, we didn't care what we were going to do. You know, we were going to turn Jeep over or whatever. Wow. Um, but, but like I said... We were the school geeks. We were we weren't, you know, but maybe that was part of the reason why we had a chip on our shoulder about stuff too, because we weren't the we weren't the best looking kids. We didn't have all the dates. We didn't, you know, but we could sure relate to Kiss. You know, I mean, it was like that was the band we all really wanted to see. You know, right? And 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 just think how justified we felt when we were made fun of in May, and Kiss comes back in November and sells that place out. When all those other bands that the kids told us were better than Kiss never did. Right. What an amazing thing to be in high school and have that kind of relationship with a, with an up and coming, you know, superstar rock band. My my father um, became disabled and he had had um, got a, got an injury and he had um, initially kind of encouraged me with Kiss, and um, because of his head injury, you know, he, he was drastically changed as far as you know, his personality and all that, and um, because it was a very severe situation happening, but I, I wished he could have been healthy to see the Kiss Army um, realize what it was, because um, he took me to my first show, wow. and um, he wasn't going to let me go by myself, right. and... Um, he got me my first Kiss album. Right. He, 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 you know, he called him my band and all that, and he even got me a um, poster from the first album. Wow. And I've still got that poster. The red one with in, the smoke. Right, and it's in horrible shape. It's like a kid's security blanket after so many decades. Oh, of course, you know of, I mean? course, of it, course. It's, it's been through hell. But you know what? It's I, cool. It's, I, it's, still the best. it's still the best Kiss poster there ever was, as far as I'm concerned. Some real kind Kiss fans at a Kiss Expo bought me a replica at one of the expos and just strictly sprung it on me because it was a casual conversation we were having. That's the kind of stuff that makes it um, really cool to be a Kiss fan. The, the fans themselves have just been so, so wonderful and yet so diverse. And, you know, that's still true today. I mean, we, we get feedback on the message boards and people who listen to this show and certainly just personally interacting with people at the concerts, um, they're young and old, and that continues to happen. I spoke to Kenny Kerner this morning, uh, interviewed him um, for this program, and he, and he and I were talking a little bit about um, how do you put into words for younger fans the significance of a person like Bill O'Coin in shaping this band that we still love today. Is that something that you can put into words for, for people who are listening who may never have met Bill O'Coin. I, I never met Bill O'Coin. Young people may not really have a clear sense of what of, of who and what he was about. Well, Bill, you know, to, you, you can obviously say that Bill had a lot to do with, with the success of the band. I mean, he was he was a very professional person. He was he was a very positive person. Um, 
if if Bill had a bad side or 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 uh, an angry side, I never I never saw it. Um, I think he made his mark, and um, you know, um, and it changed our lives. Definitely. So I never really had the you know the, the opportunity to thank him for you know for recognizing the Kiss Army, making it into this international phenomenon, and that's that's something I regret. We're looking back at an incredible. Um, you know, span of a band's career back to the very beginning, to a guy who had the the vision and the foresight to see it through, who believed in what it was about, and I, and I have the honor right now of talking to you, another person who understood it, who got it right from the get go, and you know we're we're so grateful uh, in his absence, we're grateful to Bill Coin for having that foresight, and I just want to thank you as well for um, you know for starting something that means so much to me as a part of my identity. I I. I really do think of myself as a member of of the Kiss Army. So and thank you. Know you know what? It's, it's it's an honor to be grouped and be recognized. We used we told people back in the early days. Jay Evans came up with the great line. He said uh, when somebody said, "How do you join the Kiss Army?" and Jay's response was, "You know, if you think Kiss is the greatest band in the world, you're in the Kiss Army." And I think that you fans is probably the reason that's continued to motivate me because let's face it kiss has gone through a lot of changes and a lot of transitions but the kiss fans have pretty much remained the same have you heard sonic boom have i heard sonic boom i've absolutely heard sonic boom (laughs) i've even played sonic boom boom in the classroom for my students nice i have students i have inner city students that are interested in kiss because they see him on family guy so they're just now they're just now finding out about Kiss. So it's kind of funny because uh, five six years ago, when most of our population was predominantly African American, um, not only did my students not know about Kiss, but neither did their parents. But now with the, with popularity of Family Guy and Kiss getting in in their, their you know getting notarized in like commercials and things like that that they probably weren't in ten years ago. Now, all of a sudden, my students know who KISS is. Right. Now, would they ever listen to that kind of music? Maybe not, but they would if it was KISS. So that's it's funny. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it definitely is a cultural f- phenomenon, and, and I'm... Oh, without a doubt. And, and, and for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to, be with their, to do oh, what they're please. doing, it's getting to the point where not only is it an insult to KISS fans, but it's an insult to anybody... Anybody who is a rock and roll aficionado, even if you don't think that Kiss is the greatest, you cannot deny their influence and their cultural impact. The, the ultimate revenge, I guess, uh, is if Blue Oyster Cult get in there first. <laughs> oh. Let me thank you again for being a part of this and helping us to okay. uh, memorialize Bill Coin. And, and, of course, let's get you on again soon. Yes, we will. Awesome. Take care. Have a good one. You too. Hey, folks. My name is Matthew Henriksen. Um, some of you folks out on the message boards will probably recognize the name Matt Man. Uh, that would be me. Um, basically became a KISS fan back in 1975 when my older brother turned me on to the band and I've pretty much followed him and been a fan ever since. Um, 
recently all of us here in the KISS family lost an important person in the world we know as KISS, uh, Mr. Bill O'Coin. The folks here at PodKISS asked if I would be interested in saying a few words or sharing my feelings about Bill, and I gladly said sure. I was fortunate enough to have had a brief run-in with Bill a couple years ago, and in that short exchange, uh, Bill made me feel like I was truly someone special and that he actually cared that I spoke with him. Uh, my best friend, or my sister in KISS, or Kister, if you will, uh, Kim, who some of you probably know out there is Madam Raven, Kim and I went on a short mini-tour of California, uh, following Ace as he did his rocket ride tour back in 2009. Uh, we hit the shows in San Francisco, San Diego, and ultimately the Sunset Strip show in Los Angeles. Uh, it was that third show at the House of Blues in Sunset Strip that we got to meet Bill. Uh, Kim and I had decided at the show, since we had been in the thick of it all for the San Francisco and the San Diego show, that for the uh, L.A. show, we'd kind of kick back towards the bar and, and take the whole show in as, as, as an experience involving the audience instead of being inside of the audience. Uh, so we hung out at the back of the, back of the club, and mm, probably three-fourths of the way through the show, I started feeling Kim not looking at me, but kind of staring through me, and I couldn't figure out what was going on until I looked to my left and realized she was staring at Bill Coyne. Turned over and I kind of leaned into Kim and I said, uh, holy shit, Bill's right here. And she said, I know. I said, what do I do? I mean, do I bug him? Do I say hi? What do I do? And she says, yes. So I turned and I tapped Bill on the shoulder. And he turned to me with a huge smile and he said, hey, big guy. And I said, hi, I'm sorry to interrupt your evening. I just wanted to say thank you for everything you've done with KISS. Uh, without you, I wouldn't even be here right now enjoying myself as much as I am. So from the bottom of my heart, I'd just like to say thank you. Uh, he replied with a very sincere, you're welcome, my friend. And as I stuck my hand out to give him a handshake, uh, he took my hand and then he pulled me in and gave me a really, really nice hug. It was, it was kind of threw me off, but at the same time, it was, it was really cool. At this point, I feel Kim tapping me on the shoulder, and she goes, me too. And she jumped in, and he gave her an equally warm embrace. Uh, Kim and I then politely excused ourselves, and both later on commented to each other on how he truly made feel like he genuinely cared and was happy that we were talking with him. To me, Bill was not only a man who helped bring Kiss into my life, as everybody else is out there, but he also helped bring all of us together in this world we call KISS, and I truly could not thank him enough for it. It saddens me that he's gone, but his contributions to our lives will go on as long as our lives do. When we were signed to Casablanca, Casablanca was backed by Warner Brothers Records. And when they first got a load of what Neil had signed, i.e. the KISS band with the makeup, they weren't really sure. In fact, they were positive that KISS wouldn't make it. So after the album was done, there was a memo passed around Warner Brothers that maybe they shouldn't quite think about working this band. After all, how could a band with makeup make it? And they'd probably be gone soon. So just avoid working the band. Well, this memo got in the hands of Neil Bogart, one of, his, one of his friends at Warner's tipped him off, and he went crazy. He just didn't like that at all. How dare they go against him? So he had a meeting with the executives at Warner's and said, look it, 
how can you work against me on this new label? They said, look at Neil, I don't, we don't, really don't believe that this KISS group can make it. Why don't you just look for some other artist? Neil said no, but he did call me one night before he made his final decision to leave Warners and said, look at Warners does not want the group with makeup. Do you think you'd go and ask them if they would take their makeup off? I told Neil I didn't think so, but I had a meeting with the group and told him what was happening. And we all agreed that we couldn't possibly do it. Called back Neil and said, Neil, look at we're not going to take off the makeup. Hey, everybody. This is Mike Wren. I was asked by Gary to... Uh give my thoughts on the passing of Bella Coyne. And uh, to be honest, I had no idea he was sick. He was uh, a visionary, a great, great guy, uh, a fantastic storyteller, and uh, someone without whom none of this, none of what we follow, none of what we enjoy, and none of this circle that we run in would exist. And uh, he will be greatly missed. I know that uh, I met him a few times at various expos and KISS events and, and things to do with uh, the KISS Alive Forever book specifically. And he was always uh, very generous with his time, very friendly. Uh, he would be asked the same question by 50 different people over the course of a day and never once did he blow it off or pay them no mind. He took his time to answer politely and, and took joy in the fact that these people were there to share with what he did and share in what he created but also for him and uh, you know he loved the attention and that, that worked well for him and uh, all I can say is that you know, someone whose credit or someone who should get credit uh, has passed and unfortunately sometimes people see the band as the ones that made all this happen, where really Bill was the driving force behind them originally. I think Gene and Paul obviously had the vision, but Bill had the wherewithal and the power and the right acumen to get them there. And I think they did the right thing with the way they, they uh, said their piece on the website and uh, shared a kind word about him. And I just hope uh, he's in a better place. And uh, I thank Gary for the opportunity. All the best. Wow, this brings back memories. our show thanks for listening be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkiss.com if uh, you have any suggestions comments or just want to talk to us drop us a line at podcast 
at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com. For all you white zombie fans, it's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. If you have a Kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Crisp, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are Kiss, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. <laughs>